Hello and welcome to the all new Different Game Football Analytics Podcast. I'm Paul Riley at Football Fat Man on Twitter. As usual, I'm joined by my pal Richard Shepherd at the Ginger Piglet. Hello, Richie. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Still alive. Good. That's the bare minimum we can hope for, really, isn't it? Yeah, it ain't going to get much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't it a smashing week for the football? Everton nil Knights. <laughs> Everton nil Knights two. West Ham two. Tottenham three. One word yeah. to sum that up. Uh, expected. <laughs> from, from my my part anyway. We are going to do three subjects for ten minutes each, as is our new format. We'll be using data models and our eyes to assess what's going on on and off the pitch at Premier League football clubs. That's right, folks. We have all the numbers, but we actually watch the games too. And our three subjects this week are what a difference a Jose Marino makes is number one. We'll be looking at Marco Silva and Everton, number two. And then last of all, we'll be looking at evaluating managers with data. So, a bit of a manager special, Richie. Yep. Shall we start with Tottenham? Yes. He probably couldn't have voted for any more easier fixtures. <laughs> He's got a, a toothless lifeless West Ham and then at home to Olympiacos you'd probably um, if you had to choose uh, an away derby in the Premier League that would be his choice and if he had to choose his opponents at home out of the group that would be his choice It wasn't all plain sailing in the end it started well enough on Saturday but they had a bit of a wobble with West Ham attacking in the last 20 minutes and they obviously had a bad start this week in the Champions League going 2-0 down quite early on Did he do anything massively surprising to you? Um, the West Ham game, he went to his sort of usual formation, four-two-three-one. it looked to me. He's picked Aurier and he's probably asked him to be a defensive right back as opposed to an attacking one, which probably, may, well, may, maybe the, the formation in front of him doesn't expose him, 1v1. I thought the big thing was Kane was going away from the ball and on the shoulder, given by the number of sides he was given, and you had the, the, the three behind coming more towards the ball. Um, it looked like Son uh, was trying to pick the ball up in the in the channel in the half space. One thing I would like to do, describe for the listeners what a channel or a half space is. There's two ways of looking at the half space, either way in the channel. I've always referred to the channel as the vertical gap between the left back and the left centre back. That would be a channel for me. Irrespective of whether they're positioned, that's where they, where they receive it. Son would be receiving it not as high as the defenders, so he'd be in between the left-back and the centre-back and in between the defence and the midfielders. Yeah, cool. Interesting that you say about Aurier there, because I thought the opposite, where he was stationed high up the side with Davies being the one to not go beyond the halfway line, if you like. I meant more the case of there seemed to be protection in front of him, whereas before it's almost like you're you're an you know you're an attacker. Okay, fairly noticeable for me that Marino kind of went with that attacking with only one side of the fullbacks, and Davies was the one who was kind of in a line with the other two centre backs and just trying yeah. to pick out. I mean, managers are different how they do that. I mean, I, I prefer to have one defender going because I'm very worried about transition if you've got pace in your team then it's not a concern if you haven't got pace in your team you kind of need bodies in the way as you say those channels and half spaces that son was getting into was it's like kryptonite for west ham after what we talked about last week i mean he went with exactly the same kind of setup and no one helping rice in the middle to be seen and they just 
ran a bit rampant once they got the first goal, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, the game is set up perfectly, isn't it? I mean, obviously, he hasn't had a great, great, great deal of time to work with them, but I think as they go on under Mourinho, um, he's very big on game management. So they'll 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 train for Plan A, then then they'll do a bit of training for Plan B and Plan C. He's doing their, a lot of their thinking for them. So when they're one nil up in probably three months' time, that'll be classic for Mourinho. He'll have the trap set to just release Son or Mora, wherever it's going to be. Quick counter attack, and and it'll probably hurt a lot more teams when they're one nil up going forward. Interesting you say that about Plan A's and Plan B's and C's because he obviously going two nil behind midweek he made a change early like not they even might, half an hour on the clock and and deer was off that might have been <laughs> <laughs> eric deer came off and ericsson came on and as the game wore on i think he kind of ericsson got further forward and joined in a bit more than deer would have i have looked at the defending the corners bit certainly against west ham because that's how west ham got back in at the end and the numbers for Marino on corners at United were absolutely dreadful. And that seems to be the case already again. Because they were proper wobbling, I thought, at the end against West Ham. Do you think that's a manager thing or just a personnel thing? Well, Tottenham have got enough big units in there to sort it out. And so had United. So I think it's a, a coaching manager thing. And again, the first goal for Olympiacos was from from a corner. So that's something for people to keep an eye out for. Yeah, okay, fair enough. We'll watch that. What are your thoughts on where Tottenham were before? Because I've obviously gathered the numbers. I don't think people have kind of grasped how bad Tottenham have been because, I mean, up until recently, the the results have still been quite good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think they're a better team than their position suggests. I think they've got good players in a lot of good positions. In reality, did it get a bit stale? Was that is that yes. possibly my, my reflection on things where they haven't invested? So there's I'm saying lot no, no competition from places there is, but you know the routine, you know you know what's coming at training. There's no real surprises. If your manager doesn't appear hungry and dynamic, then the players won't be hungry and dynamic. Yeah, I, what I'm trying to get, at, I suppose, is the fact that it's probably been going on longer in the numbers than it appears on the pitch. So last year they were only ninth on expected goal difference, massively overperformed at both ends of the pitch in terms of they scored may way more than their expected yeah. goals tally would suggest and they were letting in way less goals than the defence were conceding in terms of chances. And, you know, we discussed the last couple of weeks now on the pod that that's not sustainable much beyond the season and the warning signs have been in the numbers there for a good 18 months we discussed it 12 months ago uh, before christmas and you said you know you thought they were good enough to ride it out and then they were but you can't really cheat the numbers on on the long-term basis and that's kind of come to pass and again this year 16th in expected goal difference before saturday 17th in attack out of 20 13th in defence, unexpected goals. The numerical evidence, if you like, against Pochettino was quite heavy. Yeah, I think people were surprised and, you know, not shocked, if you like, but how much of a good job he's done on the surface of things and he'd probably deserve more time. But I think time was up and the numbers showed that. It's interesting you say that. I mean, how long a run do you think a bad run they was on? 12 months then? Longer. 18 months. Well, with ninth last year i mean it's i wouldn't say it's bad but it's average they've been bad this year and for a team of talent that they've got that's not really good enough i mean the other thing that's stood out 
going over time. Can you see the picture there with the press, okay. the pressing stuff? You see it over time under Pochettino, 17-18 season to last year and to this year, how much the press has dropped off. Um, and I'll send this picture around on, on Twitter. The I, I thought the, the this red... was deliberate, Paul. I thought it was a deliberate ploy, Pochettino, that he, he couldn't go toe-to-toe with Men City and Liverpool. But you can so with he, less. You can with lesser teams. You don't necessarily have to do it. But this is like averaging over season. It's dropped yeah. off on mass, not just against the good teams. And it's clearly not worked in terms of the numbers, as we've just been talking about. So, yeah, I think also for Spurs last year, they had a lack of midfield options, illness and injury, and pretty much left with Winks and Sissoko. And don't think most managers would take Sissoko as a, a midfielder you'd want to try and control a game. No, he's not he's a no, controller. He's no Dembele. <laughs> no, who is? But I was quite interested to see Sissoko come on midweek. I think him and Aurier are both, they're both half-heads. They're a bit unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. But they haven't half got some talent and physical ability between them. And I'd really like to see them put together rather than Moura. Because I don't think, I like Moura a lot. And I th- but I think he's a player that should go through the middle rather than the right side bit that Marino's had him so far. So I'm hoping Sissoko and Aurier get a bit of a crazy gang partnership going on that right-hand side for, for Tottenham. And hopefully we'll get to see that because that would be fun. So what do what we predict for the year then? People get people get hung up about Marino at Man United and you know the latter period of that. Um, he won two trophies while he was there as well. He did. <laughs> he, he finished second. I know it's a, a, a very distant second to Man City. But he finished above Liverpool that year. He did. I had a look at that as well, going back, reminding myself, refreshing myself of the numbers. A lot of that, according to the numbers, was the fact that De Gea was keeping him out. It was an absolutely ridiculous open performance yeah, on the was, defensive it was side. His, his, his ultimate season, it was. Which kind of skewed that a bit. But in terms of the attack, it was only kind of those Europa place levels of expected goals in attack. So I, I, do, I still, you know, I think he's got something to prove, regardless of winning those trophies at, at United. Right, so a question for you, a quick one, to finish on this Marino thing. Are they going to finish above Arsenal and Manchester United? I think they will now. Yeah. I can definitely see them finishing above Arsenal. I think they might go toe-to-toe. United might go toe-to-toe with them. We're going to probably come on to Man United in the next few weeks, but yeah, they're possibly better than what people think they are as well. If they go toe-to-toe with Man United, then I think Tottenham got more firepower. (laughs) Okay. Played some great segues there, didn't I? Set you right up. <laughs> it was almost it's, as if I've read it. <laughs> the assist master. <laughs> okay. Shall we move on to Marco Silva and Everton, Richie? If, if we have to. <laughs> well, you texted me earlier that you sounded like you were really enjoying watching Everton play. Um, yeah, it was amusing just to watch Pickford oofing it out off the pitch all the time. It's... It's like a kind of football Tourette's, isn't it, that he's got? Yeah. It's like, I can't help myself. I'm going to launch it out. I'm going to aim for the smallest person on the pitch, on the touchline. Miss, miss him, and then miss. swear. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's um, Tim Howard's illegitimate son. <laughs> from the northeastern lass. <laughs> Ginger one, yeah. Wasn't pretty. I mean... You know, I've been. I feel like because of this pod, the best team I've seen in the last 
four or five weeks has been Sheffield United. Um, and that's my, my when I said to you the other week, I think it's a poor premiership. Mm. That a team that's just functional, organised, willing to die for each other, sits fifth or sixth in the league. Goes uh, a long way, doesn't look, it? Well, it, it does, yeah. Yeah, so Evans, um, big problem for me. They don't seem to play the ball through their midfield at all. It's very much get it wide, get it in. Have you been reading my tweets, Richie? No, no, I've just watched them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you watch them enough and you think like, well, you know, uh, listen, Gomez has gone. He was probably their best ball player. Uh, how effective he was, I don't know. But he, he could definitely link the, the midfield to the attack. At the moment, though, I just, I just, you know, it felt like the, the two in the middle just didn't touch it. Everton could be West Ham, as far as I'm concerned. Really? You've, pro- you've probably got a better left back. <laughs> Everyone's got a better left back than West Ham. <laughs> right, I'm so on at the weekend after Norwich, or just still during the game, I tweeted that I think he's the worst manager we've had in my lifetime. Which is we've had Allardyce. We've had Allardyce. He did like Martinez. Um, no. So that's a pretty big statement from me. But I'm going to do positives on him first. So the defence... <laughs> He's the worst manager I've seen in my lifetime. But I'm going to start with a positive. I am going to start with a positive. And the partridge. <laughs> a positive partridge. On the numbers, Richie, the only team that concedes fewer shots than Everton is Man City. So while the likes of Norwich, who they played this week, have conceded well over 200 shots in open play, Everton yeah. still haven't conceded 100. They haven't played anyone yet. So you're ruining it now. <laughs> I'm trying to keep positive. Defence is not the issue for me. We're okay with our pressing in terms of how intensive it is. So the press is working in terms of we work harder in the final third than nearly any other team in Europe. That shows up on the numbers. I'll tweet these things out as well, and I did a piece on it that I'll come to later as well. We're fifth best in the league in terms of expected goals against. We're sixth in the league overall in expected goal difference. The problem for me, Richie, is in the attack. We're 12th on expected goals in the attack, and we can't really score the ones we do create, so I think we've created something like 16 goals worth of expected goals, and we've only scored 12. And I think a lot of the problem there is the the average shot quality that we get off. So every shot we take has got less chance of going in than pretty much everyone else. So we're 17th on that score. A third of all our expected goals comes from headers. And when you consider someone like Burnley, only a quarter of theirs is from headers. And you kind of look at the players that they've got. Yet Everton are burning them away for the number of headers. So everything's crossed. It's a very small number to, to start looking at percentages, though, isn't it? Mm, not really. We're a third of the way through the season. Yeah. Everyone's played the same amount of games. A third of all our shots are from headers. A third of all your shots are from headers? I thought you meant your goals are from headers, sorry. No, a third of all our shots are from, from headers. Oh, OK. And Burnley's, yeah, is, only, Burnley's is only 25%. And, we're, I mean, we're pretty good at converting them in general, but it's not an economic strategy if you like because as we said in our xg 101 last week and header is generally harder to score than a foot shot is it's just much more difficult to do so a th- it's a sure it's a sure sign you've been in the data it's now a headed shot and a foot shot it used to be just a <laughs> header and a shot yeah that's what i mean <laughs> well, it's interesting you say about the midfield as well because this has been a long-term bugbear of mine for many 
many seasons, just not today. Have you seen us play with Iwobi? Yes. He looks to me like our best player every time he's on the pitch. He shows for the ball, involved in everything that we do when we do go forward, and we look much better with him there. And I've said about Sigurdsson before, he keeps getting started, essentially playing not as a 10, but as a second striker. Never gets in any good positions to receive the ball. And he just basically like playing with ten and a half men every time that we pick him to start. Surely Mashir has got enough money that you can take Iwobi's ball progression, getting the ball to the final third, and then Sigurdsson's delivery or, or decision-making. Surely that's that's what Mashir needs to do, build some sort of quasi-player that does that. It's got to be better than a new stadium. He's <laughs> trying to wind me up now. Sigurdsson shouldn't even be on the bench, let alone starting and he made him captain at the weekend but the, the other thing is we we started the game against Norwich with the front four of Sigurdsson Richarlison out left Walcott right and then Tosin up front they're all basically machines for turning the ball over to the opposition yes they're all threats in their own way but as a unit they don't connect with one another whatsoever and it really astounds me that Iwobi and Calvert-Lewin or Keane cannot get a game when it's so clear to see that we can't progress the ball through that midfield. It's just woeful. And this is the whole basis of why I think he's the worst manager that we've had in our lifetime because other managers, you know, might not have had the squad or the money. This geezer has got what we need and refuses to play it. I'll see you on Twitter earlier this week um, pretty much summing the problem up and getting a few pats on the back from people saying why can't he see it I think he sees these players train every day and he's got his own ideas how to put these pe- people together to complete the jigsaw as far as you're concerned they're all over the place still well you've seen it for yourself Rich I mean yeah yeah, I'd let, yeah but you know without seeing them train um, what they do you know it's not like our level you know he trained hard we play him you know they're looking at people who look like they're in form that fit the plans they're doing or would you say he knows his best 11 no because he keeps changing the team every five minutes doesn't he you say he knows his best formation well no <laughs> no I know what formation he keeps playing yeah. but it's right. just yeah. not working and is it the formation he's playing do you feel it fits the players no okay right now we well, it... go <laughs> 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 the middle of the park that's a massive issue and it's not even it's it's not defensive i think the numbers show that it's not defensive and I'm, people are going to say well the midfield two that there ain't good enough and schneiderlin's not been that great and delft's not great but we aren't carved open week after week after week um and the numbers show that we just you know we, you think i think it looks worse in defense because we've got nothing in attack and we can't keep hold of the ball and it just keeps that's going. what i'm saying to you though is it a case of like you've he's over prioritized trying to sort the defense out which which he appeared to at the end of last season particularly in terms of how the results were going in clean sheets maybe that's has that blunted the attack well the, the, the attack's as blunt as it was last season it's pretty much the same last season i've wanted to start with Calvert-Lewin up front because he's the only one who holds it up properly and brings everyone else in and the you know the expected goals numbers shot up when he was in the team at the end of the season um, he's I'll not going to score loads himself but he brings everyone else into play yeah I think it's wager time go on where do you think in the league Everton are going to finish well it depends who's going to be manager doesn't it you make this easy didn't you should have been a straight tenor bet this <laughs> 
if I said I put them finishing tenth, you tell me whether it's higher or lower, and you can have your choice. Uh, lower. Really? And what do the numbers suggest? Well, this is it. Going back to what you said, I mean, the numbers were six in the numbers at the minute, but we literally haven't played anybody, and it's you know it's been all over yeah. Sky and wherever this week. Our fixture list coming up. It half feels like that's the reason we've not appointed anyone because they know if they bring a new guy and they're just going to get hammered anyway. So we just like let Silver take the rap. Well, I think it'd be interesting because um, I know the crowd there is um, normally like getting on a referee's case, but when you play the big boys, they do seem to come together a little bit. And if they show any sort of um, desire or work rate on the pitch, the fans will back them up and they can make it a nice atmosphere. So as soon as they're playing the big guys, it might be interesting. But it's just really frustrating because I think if one of the few times where there's an answer there that would, I think, make as easily top 10 as if, you know, if Iwobi was playing in the 10 and either Keane or Calvert-Lewin played up front and we'd comfortably rise uh, through the league but while Silver's there he just doesn't seem to want to do it and I don't understand Richie nor do I mate well, I mean that's kind of the reason why I was trying to be positive about Silver and the job he's done because you know he has implemented this high pressing system at Everton and defensively it's been successful but it's just you know what we do with the ball and he really doesn't seem to be able to fix that piece of the jigsaw so there are bits and pieces that have been good and have been impressive you know as i said on the on the preview that our defense in terms of the chances we're conceding up expected goals wise are back to where they were in moise's day which were pretty much top level top six material on the defensive side and he's done that in a pretty quick time and he did that in his first season but you've got to do it at both ends, Richie. How important is a manager? That's a question and a half. I think they're extremely important, Richie. I agree. But I, I also think they're a lot more turnoverable, fungible, if you like. That it, it, it's easier to sack a manager rather than drafting eight or nine players and get nine out you don't want because the commodities ain't worth as much as what they were when you bought them because you don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a pretty good point to move on to the last topic then about hiring managers and using data to do so. I don't think there's a lot of strategy goes into the hiring a lot of managers. It just seems to be who's available at the time. Not a lot of continuity from one manager to the next in terms of style and the kind of people we're getting linked to like Moyes and Hughes are, you know... Mark Hughes. Yeah, Mark Hughes. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know he'd been. Um, he'd been mentioned. That'd be funny if you got him. That would be funny. But, <laughs> but <laughs> we have this director of football, and that cannot be his choice going forward. And for me, the director of football model would have him having a list of people that he needs or wants to come in. Should anything need to be done, and that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, ultimately, the club has to decide, and if that's the owner, that's the owner, what he wants from his team. What do you want your team to be? So you, you must be in touch with your fan base. So for someone like, say, Burnley, who feel like they're punching above their weight, their football can possibly be, and I, I use this term loosely, but uglier, and go for you know effectiveness over, over beauty there. On their first appointment, the, the director of football, he should be pointing out to the owner okay these are our options someone like this someone like this someone like this or someone like this and then go from there and then they can all buy into it the fans everyone will know 
it's all on the table. This is what we want to achieve. This is how we want to achieve it. That's kind of the issue with Everton is that in both cases, instances under the current owner, Mashiri, they have appointed a manager and then appointed the director of football rather than the other way around, which is absolutely bonkers. This criteria that you talked about there, who do we want to be, is so important now, isn't it? And I think this is where the data comes in. How do you think managers get picked now? (laughs) Agents doing a very good job to sell them. Unless you've got an outstanding CV, that's what it is. Football has an army of people, staff-wise, who watch a ton of games, either on video or live scouting or whatever. Do you think they ever get asked about who should we get, who does this and who does that? Nope, not at all. It's not at all. nuts, isn't it? It's be- because they are paid the least, their their opinion isn't relevant. I just find it absolutely bananas. And, you know, this is where those eyes and the data really, really, I think, could set clubs apart is doing their homework on this. And it's once you've got the data, it's fairly easy. When the silver was first earmarked that he might get the chop a couple of months back, I did you know a search of Europe top five leagues and just literally did two metrics which was the pressing metric and expected goals metric and it instantly because I've got the data ready it took about half an hour to come up with a list of names and the guys with the data then I was going to listen to them they should do Richie would you if you were in charge it's, it's a tough one for me to say yes. I mean, if you're going to be data-driven, that's your approach, then you should be, yes. Because if you're used taking their advice on the pitch in terms of maybe how you're going to set up opposition strengths or weaknesses, scouting, then manager fits into that category. What what you can't, you know, it's, it's also in manager, it's the metrics that, that you can't measure. <laughs> how they are with players, man management, well, you can Jim, do your, yeah. your research on that as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, but that—that's—that's that's not really a. You know, I, I think you do well to get a metric for that. You must say like, well, if I've got two of these metrics, I could make the shortlist. I mean, obviously, I'm not in there, in in the right arena to, for metrics to be there. But you could say that. So, but then if you take someone from relative obscurity and give him five times his salary, straight away your fans are going, who, what? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Do they buy into it? Who is this? Who is this fat ginger man? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you you get that anyway. If you have a style that you want to play, it is really well, probably one of the easiest things to pick out on the data, and it could really, really be a good guide. I'll send the thing out I did on Everton, and the the metrics I used were pretty much, as I say, the high press and the XG, and it's a fairly interesting list, I think. In terms of people like Adi Hutter at Frankfurt and Atlanta's manager, Gasparini. They're interesting names. Going back to Marino. So if I was looking at a a, a good passing style that the top teams play like City, Barcelona, Liverpool. Who else we can match to them with the data that's perhaps lower down on the scale. So on that list are Lille from France who... Marino has raided two of their coaches to come and go to Tottenham with him, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that. He's, he's, he's treating it as a new start, isn't he? I need new blood around me. I need to reinvigorate myself. 
it's interesting to me as well if you look at the expected goals last year for Lille. They came third on expected goal difference last year in Ligue 1 in France. But what stood out for me is how much they overperformed XG on both sides of the coin. So they only conceded 30 goals. They should have conceded 40, which is still only a goal a game. They scored nearly 60 goals in attack, so they were able to be that defensive yet score 60 goals. The expected goals for were below 50. So has Marino gone raiding that based on any data whatsoever that he's seen that they can implement a more passing style that they can be defensive and good in attack as well and whether he's kind of overestimated how good that those assistants might be I'm interested to see how that's going to pan out Do you think data can be used to compare managers at different teams? I appreciate that for the next whatever number of games you could probably make a a like-for-like comparison with Mourinho and Pochettino because they're the same set of players Mm. Um, but could you say Emery is doing any worse than Pellegrini or Hodgson is doing better than Graham Potter at the end of the day the output is the output and what I'm saying is so Hodgson was at Liverpool mm. and they weren't exactly world beaters yeah, the, so job the, does, the job he does at Palace you'd say is more successful yet he probably had a better XG at Liverpool XGD at Liverpool well, yeah, because he's had better players, but I don't think. Well, that's it was... what I'm saying, So, uh, do you think we can we can get a metric that rates a manager? Well, yeah. Well, you can. You could. Uh, well, you could. You could do it on straight metrics, but then obviously you have to take in account of what kind of resources they had at the time, and that could be filtered into the data. But you don't have to be a genius to know that you know Hodgson is he's not renowned for his attacking football, and it's like you say, it's not what the fans want. It's not what they demand. They yep. demand better than that, so you've got to look beyond that, and because ultimately it's going to be down to them who gets the boot and who don't. Yeah. So yeah, I just I just find it interesting that with all this data, it you know it's easy to compare straight metrics in terms of style, and if the, we've agreed that the way to go forward is that with the director of football model or in any football club, if you want some kind of continuity, you don't want to be chopping and changing your style of manager because it doesn't suit the players. You can't go out and buy half a dozen new players to to do a new system every 12 to 18 months because it just doesn't work. 